I just finished reading this cover to cover twice, People Mover. I've been thinking that ever since Card's prose style comes across as very Russian, i.e. like Nabokov, or any of those sad orthodox boys he describes, very mundane, day-to-day -day things with a sense of weight and gravitas, and in a way I don't think I've seen from modern or western author before. Then it occurred to me that Card is Plinkett, Alaskan native, and Alaska was settled by the Russians back in the day before the US bought it. Obviously, People Mover carries a lot of implicit colonial societal critiques, but do you think JDC was influenced specifically by the fact that the people who colonized his area were the Russians? Maybe. Just a thought. Welcome back to the Unreal Podcast. In this first, and my kilt-wearing opinion, for most podcasts on transgressive fiction, internet culture, and everything from 4chan that's actually good. And today, well, I'll withhold my opinion on whether it's good or not, but it is actually from 4chan. That's right. We are talking about People Mover by John David Card. It's a book about a girl. It's a book about a big gun. It's a book about how this girl uses this big gun to travel across the Pacific Northwest. And of course, I'm not from the Pacific Northwest. I'm from South Africa. And as always, I'm L.A. Labuschagne, your host. And today, I'm being joined by this delicious plastic wine glass of apple juice and fruit liqueur I am drinking because it might be medicinal, and I need that in my life. And it's also the only alcohol I have left in my room, and I couldn't be bothered to walk for three blocks to the nearest liquor store. And I'd say this concoction pairs well with college desperation and, uh, real need to budget your spending. But I'm not pairing it with any of that lame stuff. No. I'm pairing it from an author from 4chan who is legit from the place that Card describes in his novella. I am here today joined by Zulu Eilitspa, author of Modem Waves and several other cutting-edge novels. Welcome, bro. It's good to have you here. Hey, it's good to be here. I do have one minor correction for you, is that the book itself, People Mover, does not take place in the Pacific Northwest. Okay, it doesn't? No, I think it's, uh, it's the Midwest. It's the prairie country. Oh, shit. Yeah. I'm not from America. I'm supposed to be good at geography. <laughs> hey, well, no, no, but but seriously, I, I dropped out, and uh, the Pacific is not my expertise. Rolling cigarettes, on the other hand, I'm pretty good at that. But we're not here to talk about cigarettes. We're here to talk about People Mover, and why is it, LA, that we are talking about People Mover instead of any of the other? just probably dozens and dozens of 4chan authors out there putting out new books every day. Why are we talking about People Mover? Well, Zulu, I'll give you two reasons. The first is that originally we started talking about F. Gardner, as if there is a slash lit success story, it's F. Gardner. And now F. is a friend of mine. I admire his work, and we share a couple of the same views. But then I heard, well, actually, I didn't heard, I read, on slash lit, a post. I don't have it screenshotted because I'm lazy. But it basically said, F. Gardner is a virgin author. Do you know who's a Chad author? John David Card. He wrote People Mover. And I thought, oh, shit, drama. I know the post in reference here. I believe this, is, uh, this comes from a Chad versus uh, virgin meme. Comparing the two words, if I'm not mistaken. It does, yes. And uh, yes. I would say that the reason we're talking about People Mover LA is because everyone was talking about People Mover. 
back from about January 2021 till about October 2021, which was the date of that post you read there in the intro. Well, that is my second reason. It's because the book generated hype. And yeah, oh, I yes. know we're like a year late to the party, but okay. Sue me. Right. I could be punctual or I could be an alcoholic and I'm following my family tradition. But no, I, I saw the post and I thought, okay, this is a book that people are either reading or they're getting angry about. And either way, that's engagement. So yeah, that's why I ended up choosing it. Right, and that post there does a uh, full lot of praise for People Mover. That's uh, imitating this kind of sad Orthodox Russian prose in a way that no other modern or Western author has ever done before. And then it occurs to this, this anonymous Anon that Card is a tinglet native Alaskan. And if you look at that other meme we were just discussing, it mentions that uh, People Mover was written, edited, uh, designed and published in a 36-hour sleepless spree. And that is just a suspicious amount of insight into the creative process of the author that we're seeing here from these anonymous anons, isn't it? It's very peculiar, because usually if you make something up about the person on 4chan, you don't accuse them of being a Tlingit Alaskan native. You accuse them of being and a homosexual. And so reading that post made me wonder, you know, very strange. what kind of fan base this guy have. So I started reading more and more. There's not a single outside source besides that post which lists Card's heritage as a tinglet native Alaskan. But there are quite a few posts about the book. So many, many. Uh, very full of praise. It's been compared to James Dickey's To the White Sea. It's been said that it's better than Horia Belsia. It's the premier book of the year. And an expose on Epstein-aligned human trafficking. That's some pretty hefty praise for a book that came out of the internet. That's a lot. That's got to be a pretty dense, you know the sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph level, that's got to be a pretty dense book full of symbology and just wonderful description and sorts of great things. Yeah, and isn't it incredible that he wrote this in 36 yeah, hours? Yeah, and that was uh, two days. The very first mention of People Mover was from Card himself, and he mentions that he wrote it two days into the Hunter S. Thompson diet. Uh, L.A., are you familiar with the Hunter S. Thompson diet? Don't do it if you want your life to be long. Yeah, it, it's a shitload of cocaine. And now, okay, like uh, dropping the sarcasm for a second, I fully believe this book was written in 36 hours. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But that is not a I mean, that's the, this is no Fahrenheit 4-5. That's kind of, well, let's get that out of the way. No matter what we have to say about this book, we both acknowledge it was written in 36 hours, and I doubt either one of us could have done better. I agree. I've tried, and I have NaNoWriMo failures on my belt to say, okay, look, I cannot make content this fast. I'll give him that. And I'm not going to be kind to this book, but I will say something. Card, if you're listening to this, and I fucking know you are because you responded to my post about this book on Slash Lit. Okay, somebody wrote a book, and that's impressive. I mean, we hear a lot about this. People will still say to me, oh, GLA, you're an author. Isn't that cool? And I say, no, it means I smoke too much and I drink too much, and I do it in front of a keyboard sometimes. But seriously, it is an accomplishment, and doing it in such a brief time frame and making something that is you know, readable is an actual accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, you can absolutely, you can sit down and you can read through this book and you know, you know what's happening. I mean, it's not confusing, it's not baffling, it's not, you know, you might have some doubts about events, but you're not doubts about what events are occurring. So, as a, as a book, it functions. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's got pages, it, it's got chapters, uh, sentences, sometimes right. even paragraphs, characters even. So in contrast to this, uh, this very high praise that we've, uh, that we've discussed, L.A., what was your experience reading the book? Well, okay, Zulu, I'll be real with you here. It wasn't a slog, but that was only because it was 90 pages long. 
I do not think I've read a single book this year that has left me feeling less. I've read plenty of bad books this year. Some I've written myself. Not the ones that are available on Amazon. No, those are fucking incredible. But, like, I've read bad writing, and I've read great writing, and I've read some pretty okay writing. But this, unfortunately, yeah. just bored me. There was no point in the book which I thought, this is shit. And definitely no point in the book which thought, ah, oh, gee, this is so nice, I'm going to steal it and put in that Word document I have for nice lines I can use in my own writing. None of that. I just read it and I thought, well, okay, that's done. Right, right. Because when you're, you know, you're reading uh, F. Gardner, or you're watching something like The Room, you can always get, you know, at least a laugh out of just how weird and how bizarre and alien the point of view is. But yeah. out of this one, you're just... Yeah, it's so bad, it's good. Sometimes but you're just kind of relentlessly kind of bored. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the worst things, honestly, that a book can be is just unremarkable. Because, yeah, like if you're Gardner, you're one of the people who don't like Gardner, you can at least say, okay, the dude has ideas and he has interesting style. And if you like Gardner, cool. And hell, I mean, same thing with The Room, same thing with, you know, Star Wars prequels. Even if it's objectively not good, if it's weird or they're doing something experimental, at least there's passion in it, you can say, I'm going to get something out of this. But with this, unfortunately, I didn't have that. Right, but uh, one thing that did stand out to me was the main character, Helen. Now, why was that? Well, she's an interesting... Uh, well, first of all, she's the point of view through which we see the book. Yeah, Helen, yeah, is the protagonist. For reference, the book is written in third person, not first. But it's... Uh, I uh, forget the term, I, I don't think I passed that class, but it's like, it's the third person where you follow one dude around and you, you see what they do, you limited see what they Limited third person perspective. But the interesting thing with Helen, yeah, limited third person perspective as opposed to omniscient. But the issue with Helen is, well, there are many issues with Helen, but the one that stands out to me the most is not really her motivation. It's reasonable for a 12-year-old, but the space she occupies in the world She's not a Mary Sue per se, because not every character likes her, and they certainly don't bend down and try and suck the proverbial dick here. But she is clearly portrayed as a very exceptional person in the world, like one of those rare souls that's too pure and good to exist. Except, you know, instead of being pure and good, she's jaded and badass beyond her years and has a thing for every situation. Right, yeah. And the world seems to warp around. It really does. It's, and that's what we're talking about. And you see this in the very, first, uh, the very first chapter. That one's actually from the perspective of a truck driver. She is sort of gang-pressed into giving her a ride. So the situation is he's standing outside of a bathroom by his truck, right next to the driver's side door. Helen is in the, uh, in the truck stop bathroom. She has the gun with her. This guy's thinking to himself, like, this girl pointed a gun at me 10 minutes ago, so I have to listen to her. People don't think like that. I've had a gun pointed at me. They don't think like that. Yeah, no, and that's, that's the thing you keep seeing. is like, Helen is afforded this authority beyond not only her years, but like an inhuman level. It's a magnetic thing. Right, and on the right. one hand, there's nothing wrong with writing a character like that. I'll give Stephen King this. He did it very well. And, you know, that the Captain Trips book, the main villain is portrayed exactly like this. And it works incredibly to create a deadly and chilling character. Absolutely. But the thing is, one, Card isn't King. And two, Helen is the protagonist we're supposed to be rooting for. Right, so right. So see this lethal charisma diffuses any tension in the situation. First, because you're thinking, move, idiot trucker, get in your car and leave before you get shot. And second, you're thinking... 
why do why do you care about her? She's gone. And it's kind of like she does have this kind of naivish sort of outlook on life, sort of childish like childlike naivety, but you get that kind of not you don't get this idea that it's Helen so much, but rather that it's the author himself who thinks this way. Yes, I, I agree. That's something I noticed as well. And you can see this at various points in the book. Yeah, you can see that basically Card either doesn't know exactly how this area of the world works and basically the culture and how adults would react and act around things, or he's objectively ignoring that to try and write a book in 36 hours on a cocaine fueled bender, which, you know, fair enough. But right. the end product betrays this incredible sense of naivete. Right, and it's, it's kind of disturbing, but just not in the way that he wanted it to be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I'm not putting the book down and thinking, shit, being the child of Tweak is horrible, and imagine all the awful stuff you have to do to get out of that environment. And I'm thinking, bunch of fucking idiots in Montana. Okay, Montana. Montana is a, is a different place. You should leave if you're from Montana, but for entirely different reasons that mostly result in the fact that you are in a, in a small dustbin town in South Africa, and therefore there is no nightlife, the beer is expensive, and the women are ugly. So I, mean, the, the I don't think there's math there. The impression I got was that the author, John David Card, is someone who would enjoy uh, the power dynamic of pointing a gun at someone. <laughs> That's kind of what I got from it. I'd say so. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense seeing how this, firstly, the motif of the gun, because it's not just a gun. It's not somebody's old 9mm. No, this is the Desert Eagle. It's a high caliber weapon. It's, you know, the badass Israeli gun. It's big. It's in Counter-Strike. And it's nicknamed every time it appears, the Desi, which gets all fast. It's not really? just a gun, it's like, it's phallic. And, that, and that's, that, that's going back into that disturbing element is, you know, Helen with her precocious little naive 12-year-old worldview, nicknaming her gun, and <laughs> it's, it's disturbing. Yeah, but... it, it makes you feel very uncomfortable. It, it's like the same, I think the closest thing I could compare it to isn't really writing at all. It's, you know, I'm not sure how unfortunate you've been on the internet, but like they're on, you know, DeviantArt, one of the non-blue boards on 4chan, you see, occasionally you see porn comics. And like the first three strips before the characters start taking their clothes off, there's something distinctly greasy about that. Like you just know it's going to be weird, it's going to be uncomfortable, somebody's going to get off to it. I found the same thing here, but they kept their clothes on the entire time. Right, I, I had to point that out, you know, because it's a book about 12 year I didn't get, like, a pedophilic undertone at all. I'm going to throw that out there right now. It's just, uh... Yeah, no, I'd say it's not pedophilic. Oh, absolutely. Like, Hart isn't orgasming to this, but he's... I'd say there's some kind of gratification. There's a power fantasy, not a sexual fantasy in this. Right, but, uh, and again, that is... But that, at the end of the day, that's the one standout aspect of the book. And even really then, it's not... You're not, you're not going to put this book down and be like, I just read a serial killer's manifesto. You're going to be like... Yeah. Yeah, it's not offensively unpleasant in the way harassment architecture is, or let alone, you know, with, you know, the Turner Diaries is. Right, it's almost like this guy wishes he was bold enough to be a serial killer. It's kind of the impression you get. Yeah, it, it's like he's on the sidelines rooting for people with the conviction to do this. <laughs> right, yeah. And so that kind of, and that brings us into something, in my opinion, well, far more fascinating than People Mover. It's the author himself, John David Card. All right. Right, so who, who is John who David is Card? Yeah, who? Well, okay. One thing I know so far, 
he might be an Alaskan native. He might be, Maybe. according to that post. He might be from the Tinglet Alaskan native. That's a tribe here in my uh, not really home area, but the Pacific Northwest out of Alaska. Something interesting about that tribe, they practiced hereditary human slavery. Oh, nice. How, how tasteful, you know? Yeah, that's, you know, you don't really hear a lot about that, but yeah, there, there was nothing on Wikipedia about the conditions under which their slaves were kept, but uh, now they've, they kind of moved on. They didn't go on reservations, but they've, they've hung on to their identity. They've integrated mostly to society. So I suppose it is possible that two Tinglet Alaskan natives might have, you know, decided to go to Australia, where they then had a son named John David Card. This Card is Australian, isn't he? Yes, yeah, he's from New South Wales, isn't he? Yeah, I believe so. That's a very strange ethnic combination. It really, it really is. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like that's implausibly strange. Well, not. I've heard stranger things, I suppose. Yeah, if you live in SA, you find, like, roll the dice ethnic combinations here. Like, uh, last year I met a chick who was, I think, like, one quarter Swedish, one quarter East Indian, half Chinese. Three quarters. Just think, all right, cool. Oh, wait, no, never mind. Yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, if he's not, why, why pick that tribe, though, if he's not? Yeah, it's like, I've never heard of them before. They weren't an EU4. And that's what, what makes John David Card so captivating, is because it's like every little detail you learn about this guy, it just raises more and more questions. Yeah, it's like, I don't want People Mover as a book. I want John David Card as a book. I like want this guy's <laughs> expose. Right, yeah. It's almost like an ARG trying to piece together who the hell this guy is based on his interactions on 4chan. Right. So, uh, so we talked about, obviously, the Pacific Northwest. We talked about Australia, but uh, apparently he's involved in some degree with Georgia. Are you familiar with that? that Are we talking Georgia the state or Georgia the Caucasian nation? The United States. Right, right. Right. Okay. And that is where John David Card allegedly died on February 8th, 2021, the day after releasing his expose on Jeffrey Epstein-aligned human trafficking, People Mover. Yes, because of all the things this novella is, I would have definitely described it as an expose on Jeffrey Epstein's human trafficking industry. Right, and uh, John David Card, you know, if you're a follower, you probably realize that he did not die on February 8th, 2021. No, I've made one. He was, he was definitely alive. Right, so that's, that's another one of those curious little things. Yeah, this is extremely bizarre. It just keeps, just keeps going. It almost makes you want to ask the question, like, how many of these posts on 4chan getting all this, like, John David Card trivia, where there is no other source of this online, is just John David Card himself? Right, right. There's, a, there's his Instagram page. There's a, where he posts some poetry and some pictures. And then there's what he posts on 4chan. There's no like central repository of John David Card knowledge where people could be getting this uh, little factoids. No, no, it's kind of weird, especially since then you think, well, if he's telling us all these little factoids, how much of this praise for this book on Slash Lit is also just him same fagging himself? All right, well, there are a few other reviews. There, you know, I gave you the highlights of what uh, 4chan feels. There are a few other in there. It's a, a literal scam book. One reviewer on Amazon said, I, I unironically threw this book away. A lot of people are just telling Card to stop shilling. Pretty scathing. That's pretty scathing. Yeah, I find that there are no mixed reviews on this book. You either think it's brilliant or you didn't read it. No, that, that's definitely what I've noticed. I found like one or two balanced books like trudging through the Amazon pages and the Goodreads. Which, granted, aren't very populated either. But yeah, I thought it's like either you shill this book 
or you have nothing to do with it. There's no middle ground. There's no one really saying, you know, I give it like two and a half stars. The card is not just an option. Yeah. Okay. If you did, what else is he into? If you'd seen his, uh, his Instagram, you'd know that he's, uh, he's a painter, he's a poet, he's a photographer, he's a sculptor. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah, and real renaissance man. Yeah, and what's really interesting is that he is actually good at all those things. Okay, now that's very interesting. Yeah, well, I don't know about poetry. I don't know enough about poetry to judge his, but I, I like his pictures on his Instagram. I like his photos. That's good. That's good. Very sad, very sad, very melancholy, sort of foggy, foggy landscapes there in what I presume is South Wales. Pretty good stuff. I mean, I take a lot of pictures like that myself. Don't have an Instagram, but. Now, there's one thing that I did notice about the book. It didn't really, you know, strike me or anything, but the book definitely did try and, you know, tug on your heartstrings. But speaking of people move, I'd almost say that that was to its detriment. Because I found that other sentimentality was paper thin. Half because Carl doesn't really develop the ideas properly and make them personal or specific. Right. It's like he says, oh, look at this poor girl. She's the child of meth heads. Feel sorry for her. There's no... What did she particularly experience? Did they, like, put cigarettes off her on or something? Was yeah. she sexually abused? Did they beat her around the head and neck with a broken bottle? None of that. Right, and then there's this kind of, you know, that's, that's, that raises an interesting, another point, too, because her main sort of moral compass, her main sort of moral role model is her, her grandfather. It's the Colonel, the Colonel Baronhurst. Yeah, this badass war veteran who kept the family together, and when he died, his parents immediately got addicted to meth. So this is the guy that raised these awful... You know, it's just, but again, 36 hours. That's probably something he would have thought of if he had gone yeah. back to it. And he did go back to it. He did? he did. Yes. You may know it was uh, commonly mentioned that he had the professional publishing contract for People Mover and that there was going to be an updated release in uh, Q1 of 2021. And so you would have expected, you know, an announcement when that happened, something of that respect. I would have actually. Yeah, seeing as how hard he showed this before. Yeah, and I assumed actually that it did not happen. I, you know, I, I don't know when the fiscal quarters are, but I assume we passed number one already for this year. We definitely have. So I assumed, you know, that was just a lie. But uh, as I was sort of clicking around on his other works on Amazon, I came across there has been a new edition of People Mover released. That was on January of this year. I forget the exact date. I have because I only found it last night, but uh, that's something. It was February seventh. That's what I'm seeing. Okay, yeah, you can open it up. I did. I did compare it a bit. What I could see from the first few chapters, it was uh, the text was the same, but it was formatted a little better. It flows a little better. But uh, one thing that struck out to me is that this new people mover is like what, like 191 pages. Ah, so it is. One thing I immediately have to ask then is. On the front cover of this, it still says it's a novella. 191 pages in a novella, that's just a book. Right, yeah. It's, I mean, page counts are, who knows, maybe he just increased the font size, but. <laughs> the page count's not a great way to go. Yeah, no. But I don't think there's an official word count of People Mover anywhere. You could probably get it off your, if you have a PDF, but. Yeah, I've got a PDF, but. No, no, I haven't got a PDF, I've got an EPUB. So I'm like, the EPUB read on generic fonts, 80 pages. Yeah, I've got to say that's stretch. So, and obviously we're not going through this second edition. We're going through the original edition that was shilled to death. Right, yeah. I mean, I... But I can definitely hope that the new version had a thorough edit because just even the grammar alone needs to be tweaked for this to be a professional product. Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, I'm just saying, you know, that's, there's a potential for improvement there. It certainly is. <laughs> and I think, yeah, speaking of sentimentality, because... You notice that Cart slash Anons keep 
trying to tie this book back to the Russian symbolists. You know, you have Dostoevsky, you've got Pushkin, and for some reason he throws Nabokov in there. And this really annoys me because Nabokov is one of my favorite authors. And as somebody who's read quite a few of his books, he has nothing to do with books like Crime and Punishment. Yes, he's originally from the same country. Granted, Nabokov wrote primarily in English during the latter half of his career and emigrated to the United States and became a fanatical supporter of democracy. There's no real connection between these authors. He's just saying, oh, this is like the Russians. No, this has fuck all to do with Nabokov because the prose style is completely different. The subject matter is largely different. And it also just doesn't have Nabokov's sense of humor or cynical view of the world. You can just by reading this tell that Card has nowhere near the amount of life experience that Nabokov had. Right, right. Yeah, it's just a book and it's like he's thinking, oh, what has sentimentality? Russians have sentimentality. And again, I don't even think Nabokov was orthodox to begin with. Or at least he certainly wasn't later in life. You know, I don't know much about the Russian authors. As a litizen, that embarrasses me, but it's the truth. Yeah, it's like, I know one person in real life who actually read Crime and Punishment. That was my father. And he only did it because he'd accidentally gotten lost in Angola at the time, and it was either sit at base and read literally everything that he could get his hands on, or enter out to the jungle and get shot by Cubans. So, I'm here today, so yeah. He read most of Roald Dahl and Crime and Punishment, and he does not recommend it. All right. So, uh, anyway, as we were saying... Uh... So you were saying earlier, you want, you want card as the book. You want, you want this guy's mindset laid on the page for you, really. Yeah. So, well, you would have been in luck. Yes, I want a compilation. You would have been in luck, you would have been in luck a year ago, which uh, March 19th, 2021, that is when John David Card published the Discourse on the Physicality of Human Consciousness in the Classical Tradition and Other Topics, which was a collection of... That's a long book. Yes, it's a long title. I'm not sure... <laughs> and that was a collection of essays, apparently. The description lists a few of the topics he goes through, but uh, the one which really piqued my interest was, and apparently in this book, you can find out which particular women John David Card would have personally burned alive in 17th century Salem if he had been in the Puritan judiciary. Wow, that's spectacularly tasteful. That's a hell of a thing, and I'm, I'm curious, you know? I assume he's talking about the cast from The Crucible, I would like to hope so. I mean, okay, granted, I've read some pretty wacky things about the witch trials, but that takes the cake. <laughs> right. they, they didn't go far enough is certainly a fresh opinion. Yeah, I find only one source of this book online, and it's on, like, some Dutch version of, I think, like, takealot.com, like eBay. And the only other recommended books we have, looking at this discourse on the physicality of human consciousness, are Revolt Against the Modern World and Hermes Trismegistus. I'm thinking, this either explains a lot or very little. <laughs> right, well, you know, I emailed him for a copy, asked if I get a PDF of uh, discourses. He said there was going to be a professional re-release this year, so that's something to look forward to. That's, that's something I'm legitimately interested in reading. Yeah, I'd definitely do an episode on that. I'd be meaning to do, like, more quote-unquote non-fiction. Yeah, I mean, Card's a... Uh, there's more to Card than creative output, yeah. And there's more to his output than just People Mover. Yeah. We've got, uh, obviously, People Mover is the first one there, but we've also got the bumper book of Mormon's humor. I mean, I'm, like, 90% sure, having not read this book, that he's written it solely because Orson Scott Card of Ender's Game fame, which is an infinitely superior novel with a child protagonist, 
this this other card isn't a valid Mormon. I'm sure that's entirely why. Like the guys shared a surname, and this one, not playing with a full deck, decided, you know, let, let me leave. Right, you know, actually, I remember talking to uh, that's just trivial memory. Back in the early days of writing general, I actually talked to Card about a uh, Mormon book of bumper humor. And what did he have to say? No, it, I just did like a copy paste, a copy pasta meme reply. So, and apparently, there's another book as well, Box Kicker, which focuses on Helen's grandpa, who is apparently you know the coolest dude. Right. Yeah. This is a well. It's built. It's built as a sequel, but from what I was reading, it, it seems more like a prequel. Is the opening scene is uh, I believe he's a reporter. He's on his way. He's just heard that Colonel Joseph Barrenhurst has been accused of murder. So he goes over there. I, st- I stopped reading at the point where he's like arguing with the police officer about whether he can go in. Yeah, arguing with American cops never seems to end well. Right, yeah. Well, who knows? <laughs> yeah, but going back to the topic of people mover. Another thing that really struck out to me, and I'm not sure if you could share the sentiment, is the sheer Americana in the book. Like, this is not a book which could have conceivably taken place outside of the United States. Well, you know, apart from the short right. road trip to Canada. It's very much an American book, and you see this fantasization almost of the trucker profession in it. Uh, my dad was a trucker. My uncles were all truckers, briefly. I was kind of raised a bit in that culture. And, uh, yeah, it, it's a pressing kind of lifestyle. And he does manage to accurately capture that. Like you say, uh, that was something I was kind of thinking about is why, so why does this guy from Australia decide to sit down and write a book about America? And, and specifically about something that isn't glamorous. Like, yeah, I suppose, meth heads, you know, you have Walter White, you, you, you have Breaking Bad, and it sort of at least made the whole addiction seem, you know, interesting scary, as opposed to unpleasant scary. Right, it's... But Truckers? There's no Netflix series on Truckers. Well, we had uh, Ice Road Truckers, but again, that was more about the Ice Road, I think. You know, I remember asking my dad about it, because I was, I was thinking about it at one point when I was younger, you know, going into a career as a truck driver, and he was like, dude, it's just the most boring shit on the face of the entire fucking planet. Yeah, I mean, I know one trucker IRL, and, okay, not IRL, I met him online. Most, most truckers in SA are stereotyped as having AIDS, which is unfortunately relatively true. But, no, the guy I met online, the way he dealt with the boredom of the open road was not, you know, music or radio. It was to set up a small TV on his dashboard, play porn through it, and then aid while driving so he wouldn't fall asleep. Really? Yeah, he timed it so he would come just as he drove into the truck stop. I wonder why. He was a serial killer. Ah. Nice guy, trucker Mike. Yeah, I've driven, uh, I've driven the full length of the United States three times, and uh, yeah, it's the freedom of the open road. I don't, I don't know about that, man. It was mind-numbingly, unrelentingly fucking boring. Yeah, no, I mean, I've driven around SA, and it's like, you don't want it to get interesting, because when it gets interesting, it gets dangerous. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's a... Uh... But the, the road trip is, this such, is such an American coming-of-age cultural institution is that everybody's expected to do it at one point or another when you're in high school, when you're in college. It's always made out to be this hugely like, romantic learning experience, but it's just boring. <laughs> it's like the real coming-of-age is, can you put up another guy 12 hours on the road, yeah. day in and day out? Because if you can do that, you're on Yeah, it, it takes a lot, of, a lot of fucking patience. I remember the time I had to drive down to Durban. For reference, Pretoria, where I currently stay, is one of the capitals. Durban is another major city. It's like the surf capital of the country, and it's about a nine-hour drive. So you can do it in a day, which we did. 
it was shit. Mainly because it was this huge, coincidentally trucker-based protest which glued up like the one mountain pass between Pretoria and the KZN province in which Durban is located. But because you had to sit there and I forgot to like download any music because I just installed Spotify and the car had one John Cash CD. Man, I wanted to jump into a ring of fire. Yeah, when we it's just that. fucking... Mm, enough about that. Yeah, I know. It's a harrowing experience. And I was going to say one thing I, I liked about Box Kicker. One thing that I thought was interesting, not so much as a book, but as a sequel, The People Mover, is, you know, the Colonel Joseph Barenhurst is built up to be this great, fantastic guy. This big, you know, casting the shadow over the whole narrative. But you don't actually get to meet him right off the bat. So the, the book just talks about or at least the intro talks about how cool he is, you know, how awesome he is, all his military exploits. And you just right, right. show and me you, the guy. You kind of open up Box Kicker and uh, kind of like, okay, oh, this is, this is the guy. We're going to meet the guy. And then the reporter goes over there to meet him and you got the, you, all you see is the outside of his house and you got the line of cops out there. So it really does, it does keep the suspense going. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to see that he's uh, no, improved. Actually, I'd be worried if he generated. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he wrote that one. So People Mover was what, February 8th? That year, yeah. yeah. The box kicker was March twenty third, so about a month later. Uh, my next question: How much cocaine did he use to write? Uh, I don't think he did any. If I'm being totally honest, I'd be shocked. He doesn't seem like a cocaine user. As someone who has a, yeah, no, I, I I've, I've seen pictures of this guy and like, okay, yeah, don't judge a book by its cover because case in point, People Mover actually has a very nice cover, but also because he just looks looks. Soft. Looks like a sad boy. He looks approachable. Looks like a sad boy of South Wales. Yeah, he looks like the guy who would have an art-themed Instagram, which he fucking does. Right, yeah, he doesn't look like you know he doesn't he doesn't look like the sleaze core kind of like a, you know I don't have a post right here to reference, but he seems to kind of go back and forth in what kind of image he wants to project. Whether he wants to be this kind of like patrician sort of man of letters, or he wants to be this kind of Hunter S. Thompson, you know, got Norman Mailer guy on the street kind of a badass, you know. Yeah, I find it to be very peculiar because these things are completely unrelated. It's like, yeah, on the one hand, yes, you can live like Andreas Thompson. I do this. And yeah, you sometimes have week-long hangovers when you, the, you know, the alcohol runs out. And yes, you can also be a patrician who like, still handwrites letters and mails them to people. But the two don't really mix them. Right, and you kind of... And neither of them have anything to do with a softball. And, you know, these, uh, as we've kind of skirted around, but not correctly, or not come out and directly said, you know, most of these, it's pretty transparent. So these posts online are clearly him. He's obviously going through a lot of effort to drum up interest in his book and in himself. And it, but despite all these efforts, I mean, you turn on uh, the trailer, the first episode of uh, Interpolation, which was his uh, his YouTube channel, and you get this, exactly the kind of guy we just described he's you know a little shy a little unsure of himself i'll be like everybody on 4chan yeah no i find it very strange because it's a huge larp but on the other hand he doesn't commit to it it's like he is flip-flopping between these personas and the flip-flopping itself you know granted we, we're talking about it it's interesting but it's not fascinating it doesn't have the pull to make you want yeah, to read yeah. the book and you know i think in history somebody's been compared to walden and Walden's the one who isn't coming off second best here. Because that guy, Absolutely. he's committing yeah, Walden, to dark you know, He nails it. He, he set a goal and he hit it. <laughs> yep. He actualized. I don't agree with what he's doing, but 
if he's doing it, I don't, I don't necessarily I disagree with it. I mean, I kind of, I mean, my opinions on Walvin kind of go contrary to most of lit. That'd be a different podcast, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's beyond the scope of it. But yeah, comparing Card to Walden, you see Walden, he's cohesive. The backstory makes sense, and he's Australian. But I'm Card... going to call back a little bit, because he mm-hmm. does like to, uh, he does like to have his, uh, Walden does like to have his whiskey chats, or he likes to talk about cigarettes, he likes to talk about coffee, but you can tell he's not, it's just, just a prop, a little aesthetic prop there. But if you don't like whiskey, don't drink whiskey. I don't drink, I don't like alcohol. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, whiskey's one of the biggest uh, Yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy the taste of it, but I just, I don't like the feeling of intoxication. But yeah, it's, it's, it's like you say, whiskey is always, whiskey, scotch whiskey specifically, is always the go-to for the young man who wants to check that patrician, man of letters kind of sona. It's always, it's always scotch whiskey they go for, you know? Yeah, it's like scotch whiskey, uh, cheap cigar thrifted clothes, and you sit there thinking, ah, oh, gee, I am so British. Right, yeah. It's, uh, yeah I'm an Anglophile. You know, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are worse files to be, but uh, Anglophile is still pretty low. Right, and uh, I would say, what, what would you call this, uh, this fascination with Americana? What do you, what do you guys call uh, what, what do you call a oh, guy I mean, in a foreign country? What do you, do, you, do you have those? Do you have like weeaboos for America down there in South Africa or what? Well, you see, the thing is, the problem here is that American culture is so ubiquitous. It's like not even talking about Hollywood. You, you see the music, you see the fashion, you see the political things. You, you'll find idiots in South African bars who have strong opinions, like fist fight opinions about Elon Musk and Donald Trump. I'm thinking... This is a fucking continent away, dude. Why do you care? Elon Musk is South African. He's, right. a, he's a traitor to the nation. He would renounce his citizenship <laughs> if he had testicles. Yeah, it's... Yeah, but I mean, look, dude lives in America. So, I mean, we don't have a term for, like, American weave down here because it's just expected that you watch American Netflix, that you listen to rap music, and you buy Nikes. It's not, you know, you're a weirdo for this. It's just, okay, dude, glad to see you have things to make small talk about. Like, okay, I got, I've got, i gotten some pretty funny looks for wearing a cowboy hat around. You deserved them. Yeah, okay, fair. I mean, it was a cool hat, but, like, nobody pointed a finger and say, hey, look at the America boo. No, it was, hey, look at the chick in the cowboy hat. Yeah, but uh, whatever that is, card is that, because it's like, with him, it's on an exceptional level. It's not just he listens to, like, Cardi B and... You know, watch right, yeah. That, that was kind of one of the things that turned me off that kept me from, because I, you know, I knew about it for like eight months and didn't get around to reading it till uh, like November of last year. And, and that was one of the things that just turned me off was the, was the subject matter. Truckers, meth, rednecks, child abuse. It's just so, just so dreary, you know? Hmm. Yeah, it's grim. And one thing I also noticed with it is, again, it's inoffensively grim. So at no point are you reading because, like, you want to see what's the next horrific thing that happens. Like, what's the next stomach-churning incident of human depravity? You know, it's like, well, this is just right. I mean, unpleasant. and he does, he, do, he absolutely nails the feeling of being on one of these, like, highway truck stop bars. Uh, it's just, there's nothing fucking, nothing's happened there in 30 goddamn years. There's no reason for anyone to be there. Like, you can buy alcohol and go fucking anywhere, but people still... And, just depressing, it's grim, it's dark, it's dusty, and you don't want to be there. It's not, it's not the type of thing you seek out. Yeah, and that's the place you wind up and then you leave. Right, yeah. 
I mean, the bar in Pretoria is pressing, but like, I, I still have, you know, choices and opinions about it. It's not uniformly dismal. Yeah. I mean, even with that, one thing I noticed, and this comes in again with a later bar, is there's this, you know, gimmick bar. I think it's got like a Celtic theme to it. Honestly, I don't remember, and that's exactly of how much an impact the theme makes to the story, is that Helen winds up in like, might be Oregon, might be British Columbia, it doesn't matter. And she thinks, well, oh, gee, I took a taxi here. I normally, I'm a 12-year-old girl in a foreign city. What am I going to do? She thinks, let's go to a bar and schmooze somebody into giving me a place to stay. Right, right. And that whole scene, I thought, was just one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. Because it's this whole show that Carr doesn't have this great idea of how people act in real life. Or if he does, right. he's not showing it. Because Helen goes in here, she finds people who firstly led her into the bar, which is remarkable. It's like, oh, you can sit in the corner, it's, it's okay. And then they drug her again after her. Yeah, so I got the chapter open. Like you say, nobody attempts to stop her or to... So what it, what it is, is it's a, uh, it's called the Hackney Carriage, and it's a, it's a British-themed pub. Pseudo-British memorabilia. Shakespeare, Churchill. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like full of what Doctor Who thinks British is. Right, right. And so, like you say, nobody challenges her. She goes out to the patio. Not, not the craziest thing you've ever heard of. You know, people are, people are drinking, they're laughing, they're not going to notice the 12-year-old wandering around. No, but what I found weird about it is then... She is eventually approached because, you know, somebody, the designated driver, is going to see her. And, yeah, what happens is that she's immediately drugged and kidnapped. On the one hand, I'm thinking, yeah, okay, yeah, stranger danger exists. I remember my parents telling me about this 20 years ago. On the other hand, I think, like, that is the most predictable conclusion. I'm almost offended that you put that to writing and just expect me to believe it. That's like the whole Jeffrey Epstein comparison here is this... That's, yeah, that's got to be where it comes from. And like I said, that was uh, the one part that I found kind of interesting. Because I was, I was expecting, because it's set up, you know, Helen meets the person, Helen scams the person, the person makes some, maybe some like little feeble protest or effort to stop her, but she's already thought of that. And so it's just this banal repetition. So this is actually the first time she actually gets outthought or actually gets into trouble. I actually found that to be one of the more yeah. interesting parts of the, the book. Yeah, no, I thought that was nice to show that the protagonist isn't infallible and there is this opportunity for her to really slip up and the world is not going to safety net her. But on the other hand, I thought, how thoroughly is she actually punished for this obvious dumbass move? It's very little. It's like, yeah, she's kidnapped. She right. loses the Desi briefly. And at this point, I'm convinced that the Desi is actually the protagonist of the book. Because that is the thing that moves people around. The trucker is not. The trucker moves one person. But the Desi is the people mover. So Helen loses it briefly. She gets roughed up a little. Obviously, you know, she's traumatized. And then she jumps out a window, escapes, and that's it. Not even her tweaked leg is actually going to inhibit her for the rest of the story. Right. Like, I'm looking here. Okay, so the woman tries to chase her. She tries to shoot, but the, apparently they had unloaded her gun. Yeah. That's when she meets Ralph. Yeah. It's her little schoolmate friend. Yeah, and... I gotta say, I, I found that to be, like, the most insulting bit of the book. I was like, on the one hand, yes, I like to see characters that come back and things that are foreshadowed. But I also found that the foreshadowing at the beginning, when Ralph is introduced, was so weak. Because we're not shown the interaction that Helen has with Ralph. 
because she basically manipulates Ralph into giving her a ride across town to get to like the truck stop where she begins her journey. We don't see that. Right, and that's not... We're just told it happens. It's already a missed opportunity. Yeah, that's what's that 36-hour thing that we were talking about. And then we see Ralph come back later again. It's this betrayal of the author's thought process. Okay, shit, she's in Canada now. She's absolutely screwed. What does she do? How, how does she... Oh, yeah, there was this kid who helped her before. He's in Canada now. And I'm thinking, I would buy this if this was mentioned and the scene was written out previously. Uh, it's just... But as it stands, I think, oh, come on, dude. She just got lucky. Like, he just wrote himself into a corner. Yeah. So, what, what do you, uh... He hasn't, obviously, really worked up, like we said. He hasn't worked up much of a reputation for himself. He hasn't, uh, really got much of a fan base. There's a couple pictures of girls posing with his books. One very strange-looking young man. But, uh... What, what do you see in the future regarding John David Card? Well, Zulu, speaking of the future for Card, I think... Uh, I'll say this much. He has potential. He wrote a book in 36 hours. Okay, it's not a good book, but it's a book. He's produced other content, and I'd be interested to see what happens with Box Kicker. Right. Because I think if he actually sat down, edited the book, you know, had a proofread, did multiple drafts, this could be a good book. It could hypothetically fill up to that Anon's boasting in the beginning that this is better than To the White Sea. Because I think I've read some stuff by James Dickey, and yes, it has an identical Goodreads rating, but James Dickey is also an award-winning and best-selling author. So somehow, despite the 3.8 stars, right. he's doing a lot more than Card is. So I think maybe the new version of People Mover, which is coming out, has come out, exists, is a better book. I would like to hope so. And I'd also like to think... Oh yeah, we definitely... Like I said, we both said we're interested in reading this discourses on the physicality of human consciousness. Hopefully, Card will put that out, or some portion of it at least. But uh, Card might actually be leaving uh, the world of writing behind. He might be going uh, into YouTube now. Did you see that? I've heard of that. I have more competition, apparently. <laughs> yeah, Interpolation with John David Card. Uh, he's released a couple trailers. He's released uh, yeah. one full episode... He did claim in a thread on Lit. Uh, none of that's up right now. Yeah, and no, I'm searching. I'm seeing nothing. The trailer was interesting. He mentioned uh, at one point that he wanted to be a teacher, that he had gone to school for teaching. Yeah, no, it is bizarre. I think perhaps that a new event would work for him because clearly Card can generate hype. And as, you know, somebody who accidentally became a YouTuber, hype is important. Like getting people talking about content, even getting clicks helps a lot. And I think it's going to help him a lot that skill in YouTubing because getting right. clicks in YouTube yeah. can be done for free. But getting to actually buy a book, especially a $10 novella, is a lot more of a challenge. Absolutely. It's, it's like what you say, he's got nothing on his channel right now, but he's already got almost 2,000 subscribers. Strange, Obviously, right. people, are, people are interested in seeing what uh, John David Card's going to do. So. Yeah, I'd like to see what he's going to produce. <laughs> I'm invested in the story, and well, I don't think he's... Exactly the Chad compared right, to Gardner, not, he would like people to think he is. He is definitely a lit story. He's not, he's not getting that self-interest he wants to, but he is getting people's interest. That does, and that's, and that's another one of those interesting things, is he said uh, he wanted to be a teacher, but he found the classroom conditions weren't conducive to whatever it is that he wanted to do. God knows what the hell that could have been. And, uh, so it makes you think... Uh, Obviously, this guy's been to college. He's had some kind of like postgraduate training, and he's had a bit of experience as a teacher. So you would think that Card was what twenty nine, thirty ish, right? Yeah, I'd, I'd guess. You know, like doing the math, 
at the youngest, probably about 25, 26. So in uh, one of his books, one of his nonfiction, this is called uh, Some New Words, 100 Practical Neologisms, Their Definitions, and Their Etymology. That's yeah, incredibly pretentious. Yes, uh, in the introduction, he describes himself as a, as a member of Generation Z, as a Zoomer. I don't, I don't buy that. <laughs> no. No, it's like, if you... Well, I'm not sure how long an education degree takes in Oz, but in SA, that's like a four-year degree plus postgrad if you want to really get, you know, a decent position. So, like, presuming you leave school at 18 like normal people do and you don't drop out like me, you'd be at least, like, 23 to actually be a teacher now. Plus the fact that he's had experience, he's right. clearly done other stuff. You'd have to be at least, yeah, 25 to right. really live out the story. And I'd say maybe that's on, like, the absolute upper end yeah, of yeah, Gen Z. Yeah, that's where I am. And I call myself a millennial. Right, yeah, I mean, I'm, I definitely call myself a millennial, but, uh... And that's... And that's... That's what I'm talking about, man. It's like every little detail you learn or every little bit that he shares just raises so many more questions. Yeah, it's like if you're going to lie to people, be consistent. Yeah. And I, I can't even find a, a full list of the books that he's published. You'd think that if he was really you know, serious about doing this, he'd put them on Amazon. Or at least if he's not selling them, they'd be right, a good so read page. A... Any asshole can make a good read page. Yeah. And, I've uh, made good read pages. I'm remembering, obviously, he's got those, the ones that we've talked about listed on Amazon. He's got a box kicker wasn't listed there, but that was uh, in the thread. There's something called, it's some fucking native word. Uh, oh, yeah. Wasn't that, um, uh, tip of my tongue? Uh, yeah. Sal that Salchan? Salchan? Right. The yeah, name of the yeah. mountain. And he describes this as a series in one post, which I think was like copy pasta. Yeah, no, that's one thing I found with People Mover that, well, I would have dropped the book with that, granted, but it was also like the final three right, pages. Yeah. So. I just had to talk it through. Because Helen does reach this mountain with the presumably Klingit name. If it's, if it's like Hyde or something, I'll be very annoyed with him. The protagonist reaches this mountain, and that's right. apparently where badass grandpa is buried. And Helen just buries, you know, the jar of ashes and the journal thingy she's had, and the daisy. And at that point, I just looked up and I thought, wait a minute, she's in Alaska, she's 12, now unarmed, and I think like the granddad mentorship magic is running thin. <laughs> How the hell is she not going to freeze to death in the wilderness? Oh uh, shit! When, when does the book take place? Is that mentioned? I'm fairly confident it takes place in like the late 2010s, early 20s. I mean, a time of year. I though. can say for certain. Yeah. Oh, time of year. No idea. I think it's probably summer, because uh, yeah, just judging by the one of two of the outfit descriptions. In Montana, where it does snow, the tracker is just wearing a t-shirt. Right, yeah. So, like, presumably it's not that cold. Though obviously yeah, it does it's contrary to the stereotypes. I was going to say, in Carr's defense, contrary to the stereotypes, it does, it does hit the 90s, whatever the hell that is, in your Celsius, in the middle of summer, so. Yeah, that's like late 20s. Right, it's kind of one of, those, one of those things where it's like the tone is out of step with the image, and that we got this, this tone of of hope and redemption and contentment and closing the book on the past and it's this scene where this young lady has just stranded herself <laughs> yeah 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 it's written so optimistically and i'm thinking okay you just killed your protagonist this is not a happy moment there's nothing being redeemed because also one thing i noticed is at no point is it really shown that the grandpa's spirit is at, not at right. rest like he's actively angry about anything 
yeah, I suppose the most out there interpretation is all the contrived coincidences are like grandpa helping little Helen beyond the grave, but I'm just making this shit up as I'm going along. You can't read that into the book. So I just thought, obviously, you know, grandpa would be mad that his children are not. That, that problem has not been solved. On the other hand, yeah, that, it doesn't seem that powerful as a motivation. Yeah, yeah no, that's like, like one of them got shot and the other two are erased. That, that problem has still not been solved by the end of the book. Yeah, it's just, there's no closure to anything. It's kind of, right, it's kind of like in a, a Wizard of Oz, you know, Dorothy wakes up in her bed and you know, everybody's like, oh, you're alive and you're back home and it's wonderful. And then you kind of take that, but all of those problems that she had are still there. You know, she's still a farmer in Kansas during the Dust Bowl. Yeah, I think, you know, at least with Dorothy, she's learned productive lessons and might now have the coping mechanisms to deal with being a farmer in the Dust Bowl, Kansas. But with Helen, she hasn't learned anything because she's stayed this sort of inverted Mary Sue protagonist the whole way through. At no point does she ever apply past knowledge. Inverted concept of the Mary Sue. Like everybody wants to, seems like everybody actually wants to hold, hold her back a little bit. Yeah, the anti-suit. Most people want to send her back to her parents, or they want to kidnap her for whatever nefarious yeah. things. It, it's a definite trope, or at least it is according to TV tropes, that fantastic time waster, is, yeah, the anti-suit, this character where everyone just irrationally opposes and disagrees with. Right. But I also think that disagreeing with her is like the most rational thing you can do right, in the right. book, because this is troubling, unchildlike behavior. It's like the ideal ending, in my opinion, would just be... Helen should go and live with Ralph's family. Right, Clearly, they're not on maybe her parents. I mean, like her parents do, because that one truck driver calls the FBI and reports her parents, right? Yeah, so... Yeah. Or, yeah, reports her missing, which her parents then learn about. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> it was, but it's like you say, it's just a... It's from top to bottom, it's just a sloppy book that doesn't really hold up to any serious scrutiny. Nah. Which also just annoys me within the shilling. Okay. Granted, I have zero legs to stand on since I'm doing the exact same thing with my books, which I'd like right, to think I'm mean, slightly to, more competent than I'm not people so obviously, who read least. People, but, I've learned you, people aren't just going to click your fucking banner ad and buy your book. You got to go out there and I'm very, you know, I try not to apply that I'm yeah. anyone other than myself when I do it. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I've seen you do this. I saw your ads, I've seen your posts, and I do the same thing. I'm not going to go and say, hey, look at me, I'm actually Native American, or, you know, Hey, look at me. I take right. great influence from Russian authors. No, it's like, hi, I'm in a sorority. I wrote a book. Enjoy. Did you say sorority? This is a voice changer. <laughs> I say, uh, it's a good I one. Say it's, it's, it's a fucking book is what I say. <laughs> yeah. I might talk about that. Yeah, no. So I, that's the thing. It's Card plays this up so much, and obviously a lot of this is just him same-fag himself. Obviously, you know, maybe he has one or two true believers and some people on the meme. But I'm also just so disappointed now because I thought, wow, this will be the next big thing on Slash Lit. Right, right. I mean, that's kind of always, you know, as a, as a 4chan author, whenever I see you know, a new ad or I see somebody talking about a new book that came from 4chan, I'm always hoping it's going to suck. You know, it's going to be worse than mine, as always. Yeah. I want them to find success, but just not as much as me. Yeah, it's this, it's this ridiculous crabs in the bike of mentality. I've, I've had the same thing. It's like, so I've had to interview other creatives for this. And I'm thinking like, dude, give me your middling popularity here. Right, yeah. It's like... Yeah, and at the same side, I, I don't know if you share this, but 
I've certainly thought like I would really appreciate if you know as a writing or at least literature community we could boost each other up but the problem is when we're saying like this is the second coming in literary form and it's people mover it just takes all the wind out of whatever sales that could be because people say why should I care about your work or why should you work with me last time we tried this the end result was people mover right yeah that and it's like when you do stuff like that people automatically sense the insincerity and then that comes that that other kind of unpleasant aspect is like we talk to each other we want to help each other with our books but we're all amateurs and we all none of us can really afford an editor so it's like you can't really hype up some of these books without being dishonest it's like that's that's kind of what hobbles us but i do think that carda he's an interesting figure and uh in the world of 4chan authorship, because I think, think about the first 4chan author, think about uh, F. Gardner, right? Yes. And, uh, well, I mean, the first was the behavioral Satan's guy, but like the first of this movement. Yeah, it's called oh, yeah. Gardner. I mean, I, I mean, I was going back, uh, reading through, there's a, uh, it would be impossible, which one's the first 4chan book? It's impossible to tell. Because, uh, well, one, Amazon doesn't let you sort it that way but uh, people have been right right 4chan is writing people have been writing on 4chan since it was invented you have the uh the fictional green text from b i mean it's it's been an aspect these fundamental storytelling yeah 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 that's what devices thing suspense setup payoff setup payoff 4chan even the most degenerate whatever video game board i don't you know i don't know that many of the boards most porno- pornographic, you know, GIF or whatever, you'll find people writing these volumes and volumes of posts. So 4chan is about writing, but uh, there are a few early collaborations, uh, compilations, that sort of thing. I know in the past, uh, Quentin, who does the book club, did a book, but I forgot the title. Uh, oh, like I said, you think of F. Gardner as being the first. He was certainly the most uh, assertive. Yeah. He figured out you could advertise a book on 4chan. Right, yeah, which was groundbreaking, I guess like, you could say. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah like, apart from Ogden Nesbitt's eggplant, that's literally the only time advertising has actually worked on 4chan. Right, yeah, and it's like, it, it, as much as anything that happens on Lit can be said to be groundbreaking, F. Gardner's decision to advertise in that way was. And it's opened up this yes. uh, toll... I can't even keep track of them. It seems like every day there's a new banner ad up there on the catalog. Somebody with their rough draft that they want us to buy. <laughs> but Yeah, they, they, they're the newest Hunter Thompson special. Right, yeah. <laughs> but F. Gardner, though, he mentioned uh, 4chan. talked about it. He said, I've been on 4chan for years. But, uh, and he talked about, you know, I have such and such a meme in this book, this meme in that book. I draw influence from this. But John David Card was the first, in my opinion, to really attempt and elevate this concept of the 4chan author and being sort of its own niche genre. It was me. Yeah. I, w- I would agree there, because, yeah, another thing you see with Gardner is he's obviously a channer, and you can see the influence in his books, but he doesn't wear it on his sleeve. You know, apart from, like, his 10th call of F. Gardner, which is very obviously taking the piss out of lit. I mean, butterfly appears in the book. Right, yeah. Butterfly. Right, yeah. Is... Yeah, he doesn't say, oh, look at me, I'm 4chan, I'm from here, look at me, how cool I am. You know, it's like, hey, dude, here's my book. 
Well, I was able to track down but some of that. Yeah. Steve Carr. Card was he the first. himself out. Well, we talk about that. We're talking about that meme, the Chad, the Virgin Call of Crocodile versus the Chad. And you can see how it's it's loaded with, you got Kino, you got the Queen of B. This is our book. You know, it's obvious that he's attempting, I would say, Gardner wants to have his, uh, his own identity as this author who works with 4chan, whereas Card was attempting to become an aspect of 4chan, become a meme in and of yes. itself. Yeah, and the problem is, you can make yourself into a meme, but it's not going to be the meme you want it to be. No, no, it's obviously that didn't pan out for him. Like, the only two boards I've seen that have really gone out of their way to create products based around their common identity as a board on 4chan are probably slash TG and slash MLP. Slash TG because, you know, it's sort of tabletop role-playing culture to do custom stuff, to homebrew. So, I mean, they have the 1D 4chan wiki, which actually, if you can ever track it down online, because it's constantly, like, getting shadow banned. They have some genuinely homemade content that is identified as part of TG. It's been very poorly reviewed, granted, and I would agree with those reviews, but they've made multiple things that the community generally agrees. We made this, this is ours, this is a 4chan product. And similar, but to far lesser extent on slash MLP, because the community around a show that hasn't existed, or at least been running for like five years now, it's going to be pretty small, and so you've got a bunch of diehard lunatics constantly cranking out fan fictions and taking credit for it. But yeah, Blitz doesn't have that kind of focus and target market because, you know, it's the literature board. It's not something more niche, like My Little Pony, or even the relatively still quote-unquote niche of any RPG that isn't Dungeons & Dragons 5th Ed and any card game that isn't Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! or Magic. Those things are at least small enough communities. Yeah, and so uh, what I was gonna say is, Lit just doesn't have that, doesn't have that culture, doesn't have that same internal kind of meme culture that other boards have that you see on R9K, or that you see on Fit, or that you see on Poll. If you look at the the Lit humor threads, it's the same for forty posts over and over again from ten years ago. Yeah, I think another big issue with it is also just the the topic. Because, you know, I mean, yeah, slash TG, as we've established, it's quite close-knit. And even, even with FIT, it's like, if you're looking for bodybuilding advice on 4chan, you're going to be a kind of special kind of guy. Oh, uh, yeah. But literature, philosophy, religion, these are such huge topics. I can say I read literature, but when was the last time you saw somebody on slash lit talking about Muriel Spark? Uh, never. Never, never. Yeah. One of the greatest Scottish authors of all time, never mentioned. So it's, it's things like that, that the topic is so broad, you have such disparate groups of people, I think. Right, right. I mean, you get a, I mean, the most uh, active threads are always some random screen cap of a news, some screen cap from a different board, a news story, something, and it's just books for this feel. But we, so we still don't have that uh, author who qualifies as this author of 4chan, this 4chan author. Yeah, and I think ultimately the board doesn't need a 4chan author. Yeah, it's a general consensus that Blitz getting worse, but I also think who the hell could even be 4chan's author if it isn't Gardner, and Gardner doesn't want to do that. Oh, Gardner does. I mean, he, he identifies himself with uh, 4chan. I've seen him say once or twice, you know, that's where he came from, and he's going to stick with it. He's not going to drop it. But it's 
you know, 4chan, it's, the flaws in Gardner's work have been discussed. I'm not, we're not here to talk about that, but. Yes, just watch the other episodes. But the, the reception obviously was not probably what he would have wanted or hoped for. And, uh, you know, since we've had John David Card and F. Gardner, and we've seen these two shilling so constantly, it's given kind of this impression to new, new users that Lit is a writing board. And it's, yeah, like outside of the writing general and the random poetry threads, that was not the intention whatsoever. Right, and it's like you see, now it's, it's not just, you're not just seeing banner ads, you're not just seeing shills, but you're seeing probably, there's probably two or three threads right now in the catalog that are like, what do you think of this? And it's just some screenshot from some dude's Word document. It'd be like, I wrote a book, here it is. So now we're seeing these dozens and dozens of uh, for, wannabe 4chan authors. I don't know. I call, it, I call it the writing general new wave. Yeah, I think that's a fair description. Right, because most of these, you got Emily Anon, you got Ogden Nesmer. He started, I remember seeing some of his stuff, some excerpts of his stuff back in uh, the early ones. I think Gardner was in writing general, but uh, you see, that seems to be, writing general seems to be kind of this reactor, this Petri dish that exists to, this pipeline work directly out into 4chan, I guess would be the way to describe it. Yeah, and I mean, I'd say that while the Unreal Press, which is, this is still like the flagship product of, is, it's also a part of this, because granted we did start earlier, we started in 2020 before this new wave kicked off, but we're trying to serve it as much then, as uh, anyone else is. Like I said, you know, I've, I've advertised my stuff on the board, try to get it out there, but I mean, it's just the interest just isn't there. So I don't think I don't think we are going to see a uh, the writer of 4chan, but who knows? So you're not going to say you're yeah, going to be the writer of 4chan, then? Uh, you know, I you know, I took my crack. Obviously, I'd hoped for it. it. Didn't quite come out that way. But but speaking of then, well, since you have the opportunity, are you going to briefly show me your books? I mean, I've read one already and I liked uh, it. So well, we'll what start about with one that you read, Modem Waves. I'm sure you probably noticed. Uh, I don't know if you noticed if there are any. Something I didn't really do intentionally, I didn't pick up on until we started doing this, but there are some parallels between Modem Waves and uh, People Mover. Both same general part of the world, yes. Both have a female protagonist at right, Who pulls a gun on a truck driver. What am I telling you? What are you, what are you telling me here, Zulu? <laughs> no, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's like sometimes parallels happen. I think a lot of people might not necessarily want to admit is they happen because these motifs are so effective, even when they're sort of bungled by people like Card, pulling a gun on a truck driver is still a striking scene. And if you want to do like a power fantasy, hey, look at me, I've got a gun and I need to go somewhere. Obviously you're going to mug a guy for a ride. Right, yeah. And I think I'd, I think I'd probably handle that a little more realistically. I mean, I'd, like I said, I've never had a gun in my face, so I don't know. I think I handled the guy's reaction a bit more realistically. I would say so. Especially since the guy was the protagonist and you actually fleshed him out past a few vaguely cobbled oh, together yeah. stereotypes. But uh, well, actually, you know, that was a, it really, it really was a, an attempt to cobble together a few different stereotypes. It was, a, I guess what inspired it, something the other just got me thinking about, I used, be, I used to be really into pole for a while. I was really into guns and pole malicious stuff and something just got me thinking about that. And so I was kind of like, how would I have actually performed in that situation? With me kind of asking myself, yeah, no, no, it's harrowing because unless you're like, well, at least what I found from my personal experiences, unless you are specifically trained to deal with that kind of nonsense, good luck. Because you'll do stuff and it's not going to be what you'd think you're going to do right, when yeah. you're sitting down there, sitting at your laptop on pile and thinking, well, you know, if I was mugged, right, yeah, I would fucking, handle it. I mean, it was like me thinking nah. like, 
Oh, God. I, I never actually joined up with a militia unit, but, you know, that's, that's always a big topic on poll, is starting your own militia. More so on K, but on poll. So I was kind of thinking through. And it's like, and it's like what that's you're what really looking at, and these people have these grand ideas about fighting, you know, carrying on this guerrilla war and fighting back against uh, these oppressive powers, and what you're really looking at is sort of like light infantry going up against a modern military, which just doesn't work. It's like, unless it reaches Taliban proportions, where you gain support of the locals, you're just going to Right, unless you're 100% fully committed to that, because uh, if you don't have the same support that a modern mechanized infantry has, food, healthcare, that kind of thing, even if you are committed, you're not going to last long. Yep. And I think on that note, I have to call this one to a close before it needs a very, okay. very thorough edit. One can even say a people mover level edit. But as always, you know, I've been L.A. Labuschagne, and thanks for coming on, Zulu Willitspa. Valuable insights. Couldn't have done this without you. Great. Hey, thanks, man. Great. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, you know, people listening at home, check out his books. Check out mine. Hell, and if this sounds interesting to you, check out Card. Fascinating man. Mediocre book. So, yeah. Until next time, keep those people moving. This has been the Unreal Press Podcast. Cheers. I may have gone too far in a few places.